Hello, friend. Welcome to Mr. Rewatch, your Mr. Robot recap show brought to you by a stand-up comedian and a depressive hacker. I'm Aaron. I'm Devlin. And I'm Dave. And we're here today bringing you a bit of bonus post-season content because even though uh, Robot has not been shooting for a while, there is actually a brand new project uh, from Sam Esmail that uh, I think we're all, we're all pretty taken by. Is that fair? I think so. It seems like while um, Remy Malik was busy recording Bohemian Rhapsody, Sam Esmail had been recording this new show, Homecoming. Homecoming is a half-hour drama um, through Prime Video. And I think we all set out with the intention of watching just one episode for today, which quickly led to us all binge-watching the whole season. I think that I was the first person to watch it all the way through, and then I remember each of you watching it and me just waiting for you to see it episode by episode and then text me about it. This uh, this show is quite a bit different. So it is set in Florida. And I would say there's sort of a technological, I guess, plot point, but it's not driven by, by that the same way that Mr. Robot is. So one thing that's worthwhile to mention about this Homecoming series is that it's one of... Um, or maybe it is the first actually um, TV show adaptation of a podcast. This was first um, uh, published by Gimlet Media, who've made really big podcasts in the past, like um, Reply All. And this is like a really big budget show. It has um, Julia Roberts in the main role. And it's um, like, you can tell from their production value that they're putting a lot of investment into this. I have to eat my hat a little bit about this one because if any of you also listen to my podcast the 27th precinct we actually had an award each week uh called the julia roberts award for worst guest star because we believe that she was truly the worst actor that was ever on law and order uh and i hated her until yesterday i always get julia roberts and sandra bullock mixed up <laughs> that's pretty fair. I think she did a better job than Sandra Bullock would have in this role. I can see that. You know, they're both sort of women actors of a certain age. I was quite impressed with her. Um, so she's sort of the, I would say she is the main character of the story. Um, and this is about, and so it cuts between the present time and the recent past. And in the recent past, um, Julia Roberts plays a character called Heidi Bergman. We should tell you now, this is just just full of spoilers. Just don't even listen to it if you haven't watched the show yet. Uh, all the way to the end, you'll want to watch it. You'll want to watch it all the way to the end. Um, she plays a counselor at a center that we're given to believe is rehabilitating veterans who come home with, P- come home with PTSD and help them reintegrate into their communities. And because, of course, it's a Sam Esmail show, uh, there are some terribly dark twists, um, including, um, I think, a really complex performance by Bobby Cannavale in this. Oh, yeah. And now I'm so used to seeing him as more like a villainous character. And he's a pretty good villain in this, too, I think. Um, I have in my notes, I have different names for him, where he kind of of plays... um, Toxic masculinity personified. Uh, also, Captain Mindfuck. Uh, <laughs> I think that's a good name for this guy. Uh, Colin, I think, is the character name. Colin. 
he has a, a ridiculous amount of imposter syndrome. That's what I noticed throughout oh. the series. Oh, what makes you say that? Uh, the fact that he never does anything himself, and he's constantly getting other people to push his success forward. Interesting. Do you think that means that like, he doesn't feel confident in himself? I think so. I think that's why he blames other people for a lot of uh, the mistakes that happen, that he's always trying to find other people to do things. I can buy that. And I also think that um, despite him kind of trying to have this um, like aura of confidence around him, we find out that as the season progresses, he's not really as powerful as he thinks he is sometimes. So there's one crossover actor for Mr. Robot in this as well, and Devlin, you spotted her first. Oh, right. You're talking about um, Shayla. And it was so nice yeah. to see her on the screen again after her um, episode in Mr. Robot. She looks so alive. It's great. Yeah. It seems like she's kind of been typecast as like a waitress. Yeah, true. That's true. Um, we also get, I'm going to forget his name, but he, he plays Ray in Girls. Oh, that's um, Alex Karpovsky. He's also good in this. He plays another one of the counselors at... Um, at the homecoming center and he's in charge of carrying out life skills role plays. And I just cringe every time one of those scenes comes on. Yeah. It seems like his kind of counseling is more like about um, practical experiences. Whereas what Heidi talks about is more like about um, the patient's feelings and kind of like the, the students that they're facing in their life right now. So it's interesting to see how Kowalski kind of shows them, or sorry, uh, Craig, I don't know why I called him that. Um, he kind of tried to show them how to uh, apply for a job at a shoe store. One thing we learn about this center is they're quite preoccupied with collecting data that they intend to give back to the DOD. So they're a private contractor who's collecting money to do this work with veterans. Um, one of the other um, major characters in this seems to be a really angry pelican. <laughs> we were talking about if pelican or not, yeah. This is just like the hot dog sandwich debate. Yeah, it's... A pelican has that little beak pouch thing where they can hide fishes, right? Yeah, or seagulls occasionally. Like, they eat seagulls occasionally? Wait, they, wow. yeah. They just, like, scoop up seagulls and eat them? <laughs> yes, it's been recorded. That's so horrifying. Yeah, what do you think this horrifying pelican symbolizes in the show as it goes forward? Because it's big and white, and because she becomes obsessed with this terrifying sound it makes, I was thinking of it, I was calling it Moby Dick in my notes. Oh, wow. It's like the white whale of the sky. <laughs> Except I don't, think she, I don't think she's seeking any kind of revenge on it. Um, but but uh, yeah, so Moby Dick just squawking outside her office. <laughs> And he's squawking through her first counseling session with um, the veteran who comes to, I think, become most significant in the story, Walter Cruz. Oh, yeah. I really liked um, this actor and their performance in this series, actually. Um, even though I had uh, listened to the podcast before this, I knew that the TV show had some serious divergence from it. So when I was watching the scene at first and they were talking about the bird, I really couldn't be sure if they were going to go the way the podcast had went or if this was kind of hinting that it was going in the more like um, supernatural dimension <laughs> that uh, Mr. Robot had in later seasons. One, I really like this actor too. And I would say the only thing that makes me uncomfortable about it is there's sort of this 
uncomfortable, awkward tension where, um, you know, he's sort of teasing uh, the Julia Roberts character about, you know, oh, haven't you ever you know, gone on a road trip with a boyfriend? And But she's clearly more than twice his age. I think that's clear because it's Julia Roberts, but I'm not sure what the age of the character she's portraying is supposed to be. Because based on the age of the actors, it's like a more than twice the age difference. Yeah, yeah. Like, I think it's supposed to be a little bit uncomfortable in that way because I think she's set up as this almost kind of pathetic character. Like, do you guys watch Bob's Burgers? Yes. That is a phenomenally great show. It truly is, and I've just discovered this. But I think she's Gail in real life. That's that's a great comparison. I can. So she's sort of this middle-aged woman. She has no friends, no interests, no family. She's failed at a lot of different things. And then all of a sudden in Homecoming, you know, this character, then all of a sudden she has this job and this job can give her life some meaning and help her turn things around. And she pins all of her hopes on it. But the character itself she really doesn't have anything going for her, and there's truly no reason that she's been given this critical senior treatment role at the center, right? And she almost can't believe her good luck because I don't think she's ever had any of it before. Oh, so you're talking about her role as like the um, administrator of Homecoming? Yeah, exactly. There are definitely a few scenes where I kind of like um, question her ability to handle that role, and there's one that really. Um, exemplifies it kind of like uh, maybe a little bit later in the season when she's um, walking into the facility in the midst of a panic attack and she's kind of trying to um, introduce the new group to the facility and describe what kind of things go on there. But she just can't put a sentence together and she's just terrified and she's got a completely fake kind of um, smile on her face. One of the things that we learn, I think, from the early episodes is that um, this is some kind of drug trial. It's not strictly a life skills and counseling kind of program. So we see this sort of uh, overseas processing facility where they're turning all of these weird little red fruits into vials of liquid. And, you know, we come to learn later that these experimental drugs are being used on the soldiers um, in an attempt to treat their PTSD uh, without their knowledge. So a lot of the questions raised in the show are about, um, I think, informed consent and treatment and whether they, whether they're free or captives, whether they are informed about what they're doing, um, whether they can call it off. I think all those things are called into question as the story goes on. And so it's interesting because some of the folks who are in the treatment center, I think, start to raise the parallels between, you know, being um, being in combat, being, you know, in the military is not that different for them than their new experience back at home. Do you mean because they're kind of being commanded around and told what to do all the time? Yeah, exactly. They don't have any freedom of their own movement or... Yeah, I see what you mean. And I also remember that you mentioned earlier that um, part of the goal of these kind of like um, counseling sessions and experiments are to collect information, which I think is um, to kind of uh, provide evidence about this medicine's uh, uh, efficacy, because they measure it by if the patient's um, 
memories are deleted over repeated questionings over the like six week trial. I think that it is. And um, it, it also, um, in addition to informed consent, it's kind of about like uh, when you make a deal, what also comes along with those things? Because they're collecting your information to use for a sort of nefarious purpose that they're not made aware of. And as the series goes on, we also see that it has um, more deleterious effects on them than even the administrators had anticipated. Although, for a drug like this to use with informed consent, I mean, there are huge blocks of my life I would gladly just phase out, if given the opportunity. Yeah, like all of high school? <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Several years past that, like, I think I'd be fine with that. There was a day last week I didn't like very much. Like, how selective could I get, do you think? No, we're not... We're... Well, no, I started wondering about that too. Is like, because he tells this the specific story, uh, which I guess she's like taught or she's told to like extract a story and repeat the story as she goes through the sessions, and he forgets that specific story. How did they know that that story? Like, how did he not lose everything? It sort of seems like he did, didn't he? He loses quite a lot. Like, he forgets that um, Lusky, his friend, has died. He forgets his whole death. All of that's gone. Yeah, so that was, like, the initial um, one of the triggers of his PTSD. So it would have been the goal of the medication to remove that memory. But it also seems like he's just forgotten about the event entirely. Um, and then I guess there's some dispute about whether that is good treatment or bad treatment to have him entirely forget these traumatic incidents. Um, and that leads to this huge conflict between Heidi and her superiors about, okay, is is the program working or have they gone too far? And it also depends on what the motives of the administrators are, because the question is only really relevant if you're interested in what's best for the patient. And um, that might not be the case. I was going to say, yeah, Heidi does bring that up to uh, to Colin in the first episode, where she suggests taking a more holistic approach to Walter Cruz. Whereas Colin says, no, we we just need the data. Now, one question I had for you, Dublin, I think, are you the only one of us who's also heard the podcast? Um, I think so. I heard it a long time ago when it first came out, though. Now, maybe just in a really rough way, how similar or different is the podcast to the TV show? It starts out pretty similar. I think that actually the first few scenes are like um, almost uh, verbatim versions of the dialogue that exists in the podcast. But as the series goes on, um, it kind of diverges in some ways that I think make it more um, like expansive and allow more of an opportunity for another season to be developed. Because um, if I'm gonna I'm gonna spoil the podcast as well here, but um, at the end of that series, um, Walter and Heidi never meet again. It's kind of just always like a retrospective discussion that happens. And um, aside from that, there are all kinds of characters that exist in the TV series that um, didn't exist in the podcast at all. Like um, the receptionist, for example. So I have to ask a question. Um, this made me think of it because when I was watching this show, when I came to the last episode, I thought, I don't understand how they're going to get a second season out of the story. Like to me, the story seems quite closed. You know, do you two see opportunities for that second season here? I'll let Dave go first because I have a bit of a spoiler about this. <laughs> uh, I don't think the, the second season will be about the homecoming facility as we know it. 
I think that uh, Colin will be a recurring character. I don't think Heidi and Walter Cruz will come back. I think they're good. They're, they're done. So what I've heard in um, an interview with the uh, writers of this podcast, like uh, the people who work on the TV show as well, what they've said is that if there was to be a second season, and also this is just like my recollection of a quote, so don't um, uh, like take it with a grain of salt is what I mean to say. But if there was to be a second season, it would focus on other facilities at Geist and not involve any of the existing characters. Oh, okay. That's interesting then. So it's going to branch out from where it started. Sort of like Westworld, I feel, where they had like uh, the first season, which was based on existing material. And then from that point, they kind of pivoted into something that was similar, but also really different. Now, you two both kind of remarked on the cinematography in this show. Do you want to talk about that at all? I would love to talk about it. I've got two. I have my, my running theory and then like my final theory. So the, uh, as I was watching the show, I, it's pretty obvious that the one by one, like screen view, the resolution is like the present. And then the widescreen is the past. But then as the show evolved, uh, I started to realize that that narrow view is like her mind on the drug. And then as she remembers, she becomes, it becomes wide open again. I was saying earlier that there were a few moments in this show where I was sure that you two would text me about it. But one that I just really almost wanted to spoil for you two instantly because I couldn't shut up about it was um, this one shot in episode eight that I think um, the one-to-one aspect ratio, I feel like it exists just to set up this over the entire season. And it's um, a great... Um, Dolby Zoom, I think it's called, where they kind of like expand the aspect ratio in the field of view and change it from that one-to-one aspect ratio that exists for the first eight episodes into the widescreen that also exists in the past timeline. So it kind of represents like her tunnel vision that was induced by those memory losing drugs, memory loss drugs. And that's when she remembers who Colin is. It's in that very moment it happens. Um, it certainly has, and, and I won't talk about it in nearly as articulate a way as you two did, but it's really a beautiful series. Like, it's really just, it's amazing to look at. It's gorgeous. Um, all of the landscapes are very cool. So I think it's just really nicely done. Yeah, I think that anything that um, Stan Maelzman makes is going to be gorgeous. And it's interesting to kind of compare and contrast how this... Um, series looks visually with Mr. Robot because there are some things that are in common like um a character will often just have their face take up the entire screen maybe just like in one corner of it off um isolated on its own but a few kind of things that he um sorry a few kind of techniques that he introduced in this series that I think were interesting were um much more use of uh uh, symmetry and also, I felt like there were a lot more um, like moving cameras that would follow a character as they're walking, especially when they're on those um, phone calls and the split screens, the split screen shots. I was going to bring up the the use of symmetry as well because uh, one of my favorite scenes in the show is when she's with Colin in the other building, not the building that Homecoming was in, and then uh, the cop, I, the detective, I forget his name. Uh, he's not even a detective. He just works for the Department of Justice or Department of Defense Interior something. Yeah, he's an inspector. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Inspector General, that's who he works for. And so uh, when he's in the actual homecoming building and they're in the 
opposite building like the symmetry of those scenes was incredible it was fantastic and that was one thing that i think a bunch of people online had um made them refer to the series as hitchcockian because it kind of calls back to a bunch of classical films and not only in its use of um like that aspect ratio those kinds of symmetrical close-up shots but also um the score is largely adopted from uh earlier films and there's no original music that was written for this show I truly love what is his name? It's the the inspector Thomas? character, the bureaucrat. His name's Thomas. Thomas. I just find him so interesting where it's, you know, he in a way is a parallel of the um, Heidi character. You know, he also has a small life pushing paper, not really affecting very much. And then he sees his moment to make a change in the world. And so he goes out on a limb and against his superior um, to pursue this investigation and he's right so I like that it you know I, I like seeing him kind of find himself and, and find a place for himself in the world and I like the tenacity of that character a lot I wish I could think of that actor's name because he's just great um, and I forgot to mention earlier yeah in some ways um, in some ways I felt that that character and their relationship with their boss was kind of like um a gender swapped version of Dom and Santiago because there's kind of the investigator who's um, asocial and kind of like um, trying to take charge in their life. And also the boss who's kind of constantly trying to stay full in every step of the way. Maybe she also works for the dark army. Just kidding. <laughs> that would be a great uh, universe crossover. I just wanted to point out that, that Thomas trips over a lot of stuff in this show. Oh, yeah. He falls over a bike rack. He falls down a flight of stairs, all because he wasn't looking at where he was going. And I feel like that's kind of a metaphor for the type of detective he is. That he's also a clumsy detective? Well, he's just not looking at where he's going. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's actually a great way to put it. But he's got those snappy glasses. I don't understand why he's not looking. Those really kind of put his character together for me. Like, he wouldn't have been the same without those snappy glasses. Agreed. Like the costuming in this, there's nothing flashy or remarkable about it, but it's perfect. What did you think of the, um, like the makeup hairstyle difference between the present and past timeline for Julia Roberts? I felt like they were kind of trying to establish a difference in your mental state between those two timelines. In what way? Well, it seemed like in the past timeline when she was kind of more professional and, um, supposedly put together that she had, um, more of a focus on her appearance. Although there was that one scene where she was at um, the uh, makeup store and just had no idea what she was talking about. But um, in the more recent timeline, it seems like that was kind of like less of a concern and she was more just focused on business and things. I had a theory um, that she was also a veteran and that explained why through the earlier parts of the series, she couldn't recall anything. I thought she was also subject to the treatment. I think for me, one of the most shocking moments of it is when we realize how Heidi is also exposed to all the forgetting drugs um, and learning that she chose to take them uh, and it was her own decision to do that. Um, I don't know. I never saw it coming just like I never see any plot twist coming, but I really like the way they did that. I did too. I think um, initially the way that um, Heidi had interacted with the detective, maybe really skeptical about if she had actually remembered her experience at homecoming or not. 
because to be honest, I didn't really believe that she actually had forgotten things that she had done there for a while um, into the series. And um, seeing this come up, not only does she have um, the medicated food herself, but she also serves a second dose to her pal, Walter Cruz, which basically like uh, incapacitates him for a year, which um, saves him from returning to the military at that expense. So I actually kind of thought that this major character seemed kind of um, like you know, morally dubious. Um, how did you feel about her decision to knock out a person for a year to save them from military experience? <laughs> I, I don't know if she completely understood that everything was in the food. I just think about the conversation from the first episode with Colin on the phone, where he talks about how important it is to do background checks on the people who work in the kitchen. Oh, so maybe she didn't really understand the importance of the kitchen yet. But she seemed to understand that, like, um, they had some supply of sketchy medicine coming in from Vietnam. Well, because there's a point where after they've had the meal, Colin calls her and she outlines for him exactly what's happened. Um, where he says, you know, you, you gave a full second dose, a six-week dose to this guy. And she acknowledges at that point that, yeah, it probably will knock him out for a year. It's probably going to, um, you know, rob him of that. And this is where, so this again goes back to, I guess it's, um, it's con- questions of consent and agency. Because what right did she have to, I mean, one, subject the guy to the drugs in the first place, and two, to decide that he would be better off incapacitated than um, serving inactive military duty. It's not really her place to decide, but the whole point of this story, I think, is that this company has taken that role on. They've made it their job to decide for all of these people what's going to happen to them because the nefarious thing we realize later is they're just trying to get all these people primed and ready for uh, redeployment. It's not really transitioning them to return to their families at all. And um, Walter's mom, Gloria Cruz, puts it better than I ever could about how they're really mistreating the soldiers who do participate in the homecoming program because they put their faith in these um, people to participate in their own best interest and to actually kind of help them reintegrated in society but instead they're really just trying to send them back into war the mom is the best by the way walter's mom yeah. what a joy best character in the show and her acting is terrific she's also excellent in addition to the mom actors i remember reading that um the actor who played heidi's mom she's supposed to be one of the more famous actors in this cast she's had a oh sissy space yeah, yeah yeah she's had a career of several decades I forget what she was famous for, Sybil or something, maybe. Anyway, she's been an actor forever and ever. She's very accomplished. So I was surprised to see her face in this, actually. At the end of the season, this is one thing that didn't happen in the podcast. Heidi does eventually meet Walter again, but he seems not to have any recollection of her. And he's just busy um, trying to build a, build a deck. Did you like that he didn't remember? Um. I, I think that it's interesting because there was a thing you had mentioned earlier about the fact that it is a bit of um, a creepy relationship to begin with. And obviously, um, Heidi has already done a lot of um, harm to this person, which uh, Gloria had mentioned earlier. Like, despite her um, her intentions, she has inadvertently caused this person to lose years of their life and really done irreparable damage to them. But there is one thing that... Um, 
I actually didn't understand until I had read the review about this episode at the end. And I'm curious if either of you two had caught it. But um, did you notice that in one of the final shots of the final episode, Heidi notices that the fork has been like turned away from her as Walter's leaving the cafe? No, I didn't. I noticed that because I've been watching the image. Like she, she's a little OCD with her desk. Everything she places, she places in a very specific way. Um, earlier in the season, he glues down her stuff all uh, non-symmetric. So that's when, like, when they're playing pranks on each other, right? And then, yeah, the, like that's where I believe like Walter does remember who she is, and he's just playing it coy. Yeah, exactly. Because it seems like he's kind of playing that same trick on her that he always does, where he's messing with the. Uh, fork that she had carefully <laughs> laid out before he sat down um and as soon as heidi notices that she stares at him as he's leaving but that's just as the season ends so you really don't find out what happens there so just like in mr robot the season finale also has a post credit scene and then this one it picks up from the earlier scene where colin was being fired by the receptionist i guess that was the plot point that we also should have covered um once Colin uh, offers his res- re- once Colin offers his resignation and leaves the room, uh, the receptionist, who's now his superior and taken over um, at that Geist facility, she takes a vial out of her um, bag that is labeled with lab use only. And I think that you're supposed to believe that it's the same medicine that the soldiers have been getting. And she kind of dabs it onto her wrists to calm down after she got really nervous in that meeting. So what it shows you is that even the um, people who are working at this company are also taking the medicine themselves. And it makes you wonder what the effects are and um, the different doses that everybody's getting. Getting high on their own supply. <laughs> I wonder if there's some geist pun you can make about that. Probably, if I think hard enough. Uh, listeners can tweet that pun at us. <laughs> at Mr. Rewatch. Um <laughs> Okay, I've got I've got a few questions I want to ask you guys. Sure, yeah. That I'm I'm very I'm very curious about. Um, the the first one I think this is a pretty big obvious one given what our show is. Uh, does this take place in the same universe as Mister Robot? Um, one thing I can tell you is that Sam Esmail has a cameo in it in the bar scene at the intro, so you could say that it takes place in like the Sam Esmail universe. Oh, I, I'm not even <laughs> sure I know what he looks like. Um, I believe it does take place in the same universe. And it also takes place later because remember, they keep referring to a complaint from four years ago in 2018. So I think this is the same universe sped up a tiny bit to 2022. I can believe that. And I also think that, um, like, for one, the structure of this show is very similar to Mr. Robot in the sense that it has a lot of story building up for the first um, like seven or so episodes. And then the last three have a lot of twists and turns and kind of um, tie up all the loose ends that it developed over that season. Um, does it, do you guys have any other, like, do you guys have questions? Should we round robin this? I think I've asked them throughout our conversation already. The ones I had. Just felt like it was like um, similar in that there's like a medicine that is responsible for mind control instead of what happens in Mr. Robot where it's more like technological. This is more like biological. Well, I think the similarity is, is really about um, like this brooding corporation that is taking control of people's lives. 
And, I mean, in Mr. Robot, you do have, to the sort of story of how people's lives get controlled by illegal drugs versus legal drugs. So there could be that, you know, kind of um, point and counterpoint as well. But, I mean, of course, they're not direct parallels, but I have an English degree. I could find a parallel in just about anything. Okay, I've got, I've got another good question for you guys. Uh-huh. Do you think that old folks community was a, a geist project? So oh. when, what's his name? Lasky, is that his name? Uh, and Walter run away from the facility. They end up in a very weird looking little town. And they say it's just an old folks community. Do you think that's also a geist I didn't, but I'm starting to think this is just like Hank Scorpio's Globex <laughs> world. And that maybe everything is run by Geist. It's really kind of ambiguous to me, and I think that's how it's supposed to be. Because um, especially earlier in the season when you don't really know um, like what the problem really is that the people in the series will face just yet, I think that you wonder if their location is part of it. And it seems to be made clear later on that it actually is in Tampa. But earlier in then, um, earlier in the season, they question that. And also having this question about what the surrounding area is kind of adds to that mystery. Because it makes you wonder both where you are and uh, what area around you actually is the boundary of the facility. All right, I've got one more, but it's it's very it pertains a lot to the first episode specifically. And it's, it's under the guise that... Um, that we haven't seen into the show further. So try to think about that when I ask okay. this question. There was the one troop, his name was Rainey, and he was getting interviewed. And he kept saying, I know what this is about, and I'm not going to do it. Right? And he tells the story about how you should be wearing the right size boots because he wore boots that were too small for him, and he got an infection that almost lost his toe. Do you think that he understood why he was at the homecoming facility? And then the second part of the question, do you think that they were also selling the information like, hey, some of your troops are going to have shoes that are too small. This is information that the army needs. Like it's like little bits of data, like how you build artificial intelligence. I'm sure they were selling every bit of data they could get just because that's how like companies like that work. Um, what was the other question? Uh, do you think that the the one character, Rainey, that's his name, do you think he understood exactly what was happening in the facility and that's why he got so mad? Uh, um, it seemed like he definitely was one of the more paranoid people in that cohort. I don't know if he knew exactly what was going on there, but he was one of the people who had sort of staged the rebellion and actually ran away. So he definitely seemed to be skeptical of what their motivations were. Was he the same guy? I thought that was Schreier that ran away with them. Yeah, Schreier was the guy who left. Rainey was the one who got in the fight with oh, uh, right, right, right. Walter okay. in the first episode. That's right. I didn't think he knew what was going on. I think that was just... I think he's supposed to be an example of, you know, the soldier who can't come home. Like, who just right. can't adapt to civilian life. And so when they're telling him to do these pedantic like silly little things and he's you know i think he just can't leave a place where it's life or death where it's critical all the time and kind of put himself back in like some bullshit role play learning like 
And so I, I just took him to be that guy, like a guy who is just not in any way ready to be off the battlefield. I will second that I bet they sold every piece of information they acquired from anybody uh, in that place. So yeah, definitely like, Definitely, they were like, oh, we got to contact the shoe contractor people next. <laughs> um, I want to say one of my favorite lines from this. Uh, I think the writing is great in it. Um, there's a line where Colin, um, he calls to reassure Heidi. And he says, you are killing it. Fist bump. And so, you too, thanks for this episode. You are killing it. Fist bump. Um, I think that whole discussion was taken from the podcast which is really cool. Um, although to be honest, um, like that was one of the main differences between the TV series and the podcast, which was that for the most part, the phone calls that they had also had some kind of um, like split screen visual that you could follow. And additionally, there was a difference in timelines where one had the widescreen aspect ratio and the other was more boxed off. But in the podcast, it became like really hard to tell who was speaking to who and where they are and which timeline you're in so the podcast made that a lot easier to follow so i have one last question maybe what's that will you two be watching season two yes there already is a season two of the podcast so hopefully the second season of the series will follow after that yeah this this show was in like it was i was enthralled the entire time i I just want to keep watching more i was like oh it's over already okay i'll just watch one more and i'll go to bed in some ways, it feels like Robot 2.0 because um, the following season of Mr. Robot is going to be the finale. And I think that the season of this one will probably come after that one. So it seems to me like in a way that um, Esmail is kind of like passing the torch from that series onto this one. Uh, thanks so much for listening to Mr. Rewatch. We recorded this episode between Toronto, Hamilton and Stratford, Ontario today. Uh, we thank you so much for listening. Bonsoir. Bonsoir.